Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I'm your host Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you here this week. This week um, we are going into a topic that we have not had the chance to really get into the way that I really want to get into um, because I think this is one of the most important topics of our age. We're going to look back at this issue the way that we look back at uh, the civil rights era of the 1960s, um, and that is with criminal justice reform. We really haven't been able to spend a whole lot of time on it, um, but it is one that is really close to my heart, really near and dear. I think it's so, so common sense to get this done, and it's it's so easy because so many people on both the left and the right um, support it. It is a conservative issue. It is a liberal issue. It is a libertarian issue. There is no reason why it cannot happen in today's day and age. And that is why I wanted to really not just have myself talk about it for 30 minutes to an hour, but I wanted to bring on somebody who really, um, really experienced the the full force of how how wrong, how corrupt, how messed up our criminal justice system is um, and and bring somebody on who who has experienced that from from the inside, somebody who experienced it firsthand. Um, so that's why this week I have decided to bring on um, Weldon Angelos. Now Weldon is a he he was he was locked up in in prison for 13 years after a reduced sentence. He was supposed to be in prison for 55 years. He was arrested when he was he was 25, I believe. Um, so that would essentially lock him away until he was a, an old decrepit man. Um, and why? Not because he was a terrorist. Not because he was a a child molester, not because he was, you know, uh, uh, an airplane hijacker or anything like that. Those are things that would you would think would warrant uh, such a long and such a undeserving sentence. Um, in this case, it's undeserving. But no, he 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 was sentenced for that long because um, he was a gun owner and he was selling marijuana. Because of his circumstances, that is what locked him away. Now we'll get into the story with with Weldon um, uh, shortly, but but just wrap your mind around how insane that is. Terrorists and child rapists don't get sentenced for that long. They don't get sentenced for fifty five years, but because of mandatory minimums, because of the war on drugs, because of our screwed up criminal justice system he was sentenced to 55 years in prison now thankfully he his uh his sentence was was uh, reduced and he recently was released in 2016 in may of 2016 um and now he is using his experience with the criminal justice system um, to benefit others, to to really help bring this issue forward and really help push criminal justice through Congress and uh, and beyond. 
and which is exactly I th- I think one of the most inspiring things uh, about his story is that he he didn't look at himself as a victim even though he clearly was um, he he took his circumstance and he made something out of it he did something better for other people um, and I think that's incredibly powerful so without further ado I want to really let Weldon tell his story and uh, and and let you listen to this it's one that is just truly incredible he was somebody who was going to be really a rising star in the music industry he he uh, had a lot of close friends a lot of names that you'll you'll I'm sure you'll recognize um, but all of that came crashing down because of the war on drugs and because of the criminal justice system this is something that we're going to start focusing on a lot more um, and I hope that you will will join in in those efforts to to really put focus on that and really um, put an emphasis on that because this is the most one of the if not the most important issues of our time. So without further ado, please sit back and enjoy my interview with Weldon Angelos on his story and his testimony over criminal justice. All right, Weldon, thank you for uh, coming on the program and uh, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I really appreciate it. I think your story is something that is really important, really fascinating, and um, and a lot of what you're doing right now is, I think, wildly important. Can you start out by by telling us a little bit about yourself and your story on how you you sort of went from um, an aspiring musician to now your your work in, in criminal justice reform? Yeah, so I'd say in the mid-90s, I got involved in music and had the opportunity to work with some of the artists I grew up listening to, like Snoop Dogg and Tupac Shakur's recording group. So uh, I started out as a songwriter and a producer um, and ended up forming my own record label. And I released albums with some of the artists I mentioned. Um, and I was pretty much set. My, I just signed a, a major record deal like around 2000, late 2001, early 2002, I signed a record deal. Um, but at that time, I also had caught the attention of a confidential informant, some guy I had uh, known when I was probably around 15 years old. He had went to prison, served, I believe, five years in the state prison for selling cocaine. Um, he had got out and caught another case with three of his friends. Um, he caught a serious uh, federal firearms case, and he needed to work off his time. And he knew about me, knew what I was doing, um, and knew that we were involved with marijuana as well. Um, because while I was working on a career in the music industry, I still uh, was needed to pay some bills. It, had, it didn't really take off financially yet until I had just signed that deal. Um, so at the um, behest of the uh, this local task force who was, who had caught the caught, I'd caught their attention because of the work I was doing with Snoop Dogg and. You know, we had made a few uh, videos with Snoop, one called A Little More Dope to Smoke. So um, living in Utah, I was in Salt Lake City, you know, there's not a lot of that going on around here. So I caught the attention of some uh, local uh, task force officers, and they had asked the informant to approach me to see if they could uh, get me on something. And um, so this informant, he contacted me trying to get, like, guns, cocaine, kilos, all this stuff, meth. And I kept saying, no, I don't do that, I don't do that. But he said, how about give me some smokes? I said, all right, I'll help you out. 
um, and I conducted three transactions worth $300 with the marijuana. Um, after that point, my career was taken off and I just stopped talking to the guy. Uh, he was calling me all the time, trying to get large quantities, trying to get guns. And I said, no, I don't do that. I'm done. Stop calling me. And after that, um, the feds indicted me. I got, at first I was arrested and charged with just marijuana trafficking. Um, but as the case got, um, more down the line, they charged me with a bunch of other crimes. They took these two or three marijuana transactions, um, utilizing the uh, federal criminal code. They turned it into a 20 count indictment. Um, and I was facing 105 years of mandatory prison time. Um, I was offered a 15 year or 15 or 16 year deal by the federal prosecutor. Um, if I pled guilty to one marijuana transaction and of course me being 22 years old, wasn't inclined to accept such an oppressive offer for something I thought was a, you know, a minor offense. Like in the state of Utah, I probably wouldn't even have, I probably would have got a probation or a, a ticket or something for these charges. Sure. Would not have spent a day in jail. And this was even confirmed by the U S attorney after he left office, but I probably wouldn't even have spent any time in jail under the state, under Utah state law. So we had this um, overzealous prosecutor and these agents who we believe were trying to make a name for themselves. Um, were coming after me pretty heavy handedly. I think they were hoping to get me to maybe fold on celebrities because there was word that I was selling drugs to celebrities and guns, which was nonsense. So um, when that didn't work, they came after me really heavy handedly um, and wanted to force me into accepting that uh, plea offer. And I just couldn't do it because my career had just taken off. And I'm like, there's my life will be over with. I'm 22, you know, 15 years of your life. I get out, I would have nothing. So I was, I'd rather take him to trial because there were some counts in there that they had added on there to make my sentence um, 105 years, which was, I was a legal gun owner. Um, so they tried to tie my uh, gun ownership to the marijuana sales. And that's how they enhanced my sentence with the mandatory minimums. Hmm. So, but see, I believe, I believe that guns had nothing to do with it. I was, a, you know, a supporter of the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Guns were legal. I had them in safe. They had nothing to do with the um, three small marijuana sales. So we went to trial. Um, I won some counts, but I lost three important counts that gave me a 55-year mandatory sentence. And that 55-year sentence was mandatory. It forced my judge to do something he didn't want to do. Um, and he actually spoke out against my sentence, called on the president to commute it. Um, And because of his advocacy, you know, my case kind of became a a public issue and it led to other people getting involved, like Senator Mike Lee, um, and ultimately uh, resulted in my release in late or early 2016. Yeah, so that's, that's, uh, there's a lot of directions I could go with that. Um, Well, I want to know one thing, though, I forgot to mention, though, that the the government, just to show how the government... Uh, how how they were in my case. They even subpoenaed Snoop Dogg to my trial. They tried to, but it didn't end up working out, but they were just trying to make this an issue that what had nothing to do with justice. It was just strictly um, motivated by other other issues. So, right. But yeah, and then that's how I became a, a advocate for reform because, you know, I ended up getting out because um, eventually, you know, with all the advocacy that was going on, um, forced my prosecutor into a position where he had to um, go back and this. Sure. So, tell me a little bit about some of some of the uh, some of the support you had while you were um, while you were in prison, and 
and uh, I guess some of the uh, some of the bipartisan support maybe from people that that you wouldn't expect. What what was what was that like? Yeah, well, the reason my my case or I became a cause celebre had more to do with my judge than my status as a music producer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the first federal judge in history. To, to ask for a presidential commutation as he's sentencing a defendant. Because as he hmm. sentenced me, he called our President Bush to fix this. Like, as he was sentencing, it was the first time. And he, he wrote a lengthy 67-page opinion criticizing the sentence that he was forced to impose. Um, and it was, he, pre, he spoke out very publicly about it. And he was a very staunch conservative judge. Um, and this was not expected. Uh, um, no one expected him to do this. He had been a proponent of the death penalty. He was an opponent of Miranda rights and the uh, exclusionary rule. He was very conservative, very tough justice judge. Um, So it was a shock to everyone when he did it. And then everyone kind of rallied around him. And it started out with, you know, like local officials, like like the Salt Lake mayor. And then ultimately it led to some uh, a large bipartisan group who was fighting for it, which uh, consisted of celebrities. Um, former elected and uh, uh, appointed government officials and even current uh, elected officials like Senator Mike Lee. And I think the most surprising support uh, was was the Koch brothers. Yeah. Obviously, that was something that surprised me because Charles Koch and uh, Koch Industries decided to rally around my case, I think, in 2015 uh, when they produced a documentary about it and started showing that around the, the states um, about in their justice reform efforts. And so I think Charles Koch was probably the biggest surprise, but really uh, Senator Mike Lee, I think, was a bit was a bigger surprise because he actually was a federal prosecutor in the office while I was being prosecuted in 2002. Okay. He was a federal prosecutor in the office, but for Senator Mike Lee, he disagreed. There was other folks in the office that disagreed with the way my case was being handled. Um and he was one of those one of the one of the prosecutors that didn't agree with the sentence and didn't agree with the approach of the the, of the assistant U.S. attorney in my case. So when he um, was when he left the office and was elected to the Senate in 2010, you know, he said this is something that he wanted to do because when my judge sentenced me, he said this is a problem that only Congress can fix. So um, that kind of stuck with Mike Lee. So when he became a senator, he started rallying around sentencing reform, and then he actually. Um, lobbied for my release as well he wrote president obama he brought up my case on the senate floor um and he just really fought hard for my release so i think the Koch brothers defender mike lee was i think were the biggest surprises as far as who was lobbying for me i mean i had other folks too who are in the entertainment industry i had like mike epps the, the actor comedian mm-hmm. um a, a couple other actors and actresses and had um just a, just a huge group of people it was amazing even Rand paul uh, spoke out against my sentence on the Senate floor and in interviews on TV. He really um, kind of helped me a lot to help bring attention to my case. So there's a lot of support. Even Cory Booker. So we had people from both sides of the aisle. It was a bipartisan effort right. to get me out. And so that's sort of how I got out because all the public pressure um, sort of put my prosecutor in a position where he felt he had to go back and fix what he did. And it, and it still took you know obviously so long what 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 was again the uh like i guess the final straw that uh finally finally got you to have a a, a reduced sentence well i think it was the public pressure and it was the um there was policies that the president obama's attorney general were, were, were implementing that had i been prosecuted 
at that time, I wouldn't have gotten that sentence because they changed their charging policies in the DOJ on how to treat cases like mine. Mm-hmm. And, and so had I gotten prosecuted at that time, I wouldn't have been charged. And then my prosecutor said that, you know, the way marijuana was being treated is so much different than it was in 2002. Um, and I, I believe there was some discussions between the White House and the U.S. Attorney's Office that prosecuted me. Um, that ultimately led to this. And I, I believe that Senator Mike Lee had a part, a role in this too. I just don't know the exact details. But um, it, my prosecutor eventually approached us saying that this is something that he wanted to fix before he left office. And he basically stated those reasons, the change in, you know, uh, in the norms and what we consider, you know, to be serious crimes. Like what I, mine was marijuana. Now, obviously, our society's been treating marijuana differently. Sure. And at the time, the DOJ wasn't taking any marijuana cases. So he felt like, okay, it would be unfair to leave me in there in light of all these uh, changes in, in, in our norms. So I think that's sort of what led to it. And I think having the co- brother, Senator Mike Lee, so publicly talk about my case, and I wasn't receiving the clemency from President Obama. My case had been pending for like three and a half, four years. And people were getting clemency within six months. And my case just sat there despite my judge pleading with President Obama to release me immediately, despite Senator Mike Lee um, and, and even HBO's John Oliver. Everyone was talking about my case and they were making a fuss over why I wasn't receiving clemency. So I think that's when my prosecutors uh, and had some discussions with other folks and decided to do the, go this other route. And then he asked the court to reduce my sentence to time served and the court immediately granted it. Um, before all this happened, were you at all like uh, interested, or or did you like pay attention to to things that were maybe within some some of the political uh, fields? And if if not, um, did did all of this sort of shape or, or change any of your any of your feelings or opinions about things? Yeah, before this, I wasn't really involved in politics at all, not even in justice reform because I didn't know the justice system. I I had friends growing up get in trouble, but they went state, and they yeah. didn't get a lot of time. It's, the state's completely different. You have you have access to parole. You have um, you know the states are, are I think better suited to deal with these issues than the federal government. Sure, um, th- these are local issues, and they should be dealt with locally. And I've had friends growing up who, who who've done the same thing that I did, or even worse, way worse, and you know they they didn't even get prison time. So <laughs> this is something I never thought I could even go to prison for, or else I wouldn't even. Know done it because i would have just focused on my career but this is something i didn't think that people usually go to prison for or even jail so yeah so i i had no idea that, that the federal justice system was like this at all um what was what was the uh sort of community support we we talked a little bit about the the bigger you know the the bigger names and and individuals that that rallied behind you and 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 uh and lobbied for your your eventual release um, but what was some of the more more personal community uh, support uh, like rallying behind you? Oh, I think my sister. I forgot. I forgot to mention her. She was like, she was the face of my campaign, and mm-hmm. she was she was doing everything possible to try to get me out. Um, she was writing letters. She was going to meet with uh, members of Congress. She was, you know, building local support. I know it was such an issue. It's hard to. Um, make any change with, with with doing the grassroots movement like stuff like that but um she was doing everything she was going to the court protesting she was doing a bunch of organized organized events out here in utah but when you're in the federal system the only way out is either through the president or congress so um there's not a lot that can be done on the local level but she did work with the local mayor of salt lake city who was then the mayor rocky anderson 
um, and they did, did everything they could to try to get attention to the issue. Um, we, she even met with Orrin Hatch, who had uh, sort of committed to helping, but then kind of backed off when it was time to help. Um, so I think that's one of the main things. But a lot of people were filing, like, doing change.org petitions. We had reached, I think, 250,000 signatures. Wow. Um, so it was mostly my sister led that effort, and then she uh, once my case started becoming really – really big and she was appearing on the news she was appearing on a bunch uh, going to she even went and testified before congress um, i think it was in 2013 um so yeah she was she was the um one that, that kept my case alive mm-hmm. <clears throat> through all those years um so so we've talked a lot about you know your 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 journey and and your story and and um and how that sort of uh, shaped to where where you are now let's talk about a little bit about the work that you're doing now um, with with criminal justice reform, um, what what sort of things are are you pushing for? What sort of things are you working on now that you are you're free, you're out, um, and now you have a chance to to sort of give back? Um, for right now, first we're trying to get the uh, First Step Act passed, mm-hmm. um, and you know that's a very small. Uh, prison reform package it doesn't do a whole lot but it does something and right i was in prison and i would have loved to be able to pass while i was in there even though it wouldn't have changed my sentence um it, it is something i think we need to get done just like it like it's the name's first step act so we need to take this first step and get this done um but my main goal is for sweeping and we're, we're doing this by we're building a massive bipartisan group of unlikely allies and we're bringing everyone together in a feature documentary, which is sort of like an expose on the justice system through the lens of my case. Um, and we're trying to use that use that to show people who don't really know and understand, because there's still people out there screaming that the justice system is fair and this is what it's supposed to do, but they don't really understand the issue. So we're, we're, we're creating this film, and it's produced by Mark Wahlberg. He's the executive producer. Mm-hmm. And we, we're bringing everyone that helps support to get me out to show the public not only what happened to me and why the system's messed up, but who all agrees and who believes that we need to reform the system. So when we featured uh, Charles Koch in it, um, Senator Mike Lee, Senator Cory Booker, Snoop Dogg. Uh, we just got a lot of people. We got movie producers in there. We got just activists, elected officials, and we're just trying to show how many people really support this issue. Is, is this something that you th- think is really becoming a lot easier to sell to people the uh, n- not just criminal justice uh, you know as a whole but there's there's a lot of people who um, I know you know personally within maybe the conservative movement or uh, you know the liberty movement or something like that where they might have been formerly really tough on crime but now they're they're taken aback and, and looking at things through a realistic lens um, and seeing the the humanity and the people behind them is this something that you see uh, becoming a lot more popular on the national stage? It is, and I, and I think uh, uh, reform is inevitable. And um, one thing I'd like to note, though, that this is this this is really a conservative issue. Yeah. Um, if, if folks believe and really believe in limited government, if they really believe in liberty, um, th- this is an issue that they should be taken up. This is really a conservative issue, and. I'm just glad to see that um, people like Mike Lee are making that case. 
what what do you make of a few of the the current uh, you know criminal justice has been in the news recently a lot um and it's been centered around individuals like uh, matthew charles who who just you know recently got sent back to prison um what do you make of of those kind of cases and do you think that that is more of an anomaly where it, it might just be a fluke of the trend going or is that just an actual um block in the in the push for criminal justice reform um well, what's interesting is um and i'm just stating a fact i'm not praising trump but is, right this is the first this is the first president in modern time to issue commutations or commuting prison sentences in their first term usually Presidents wait to their last term in office, or the last term in their last year in office, where they have really nothing to lose. And so it's interesting to see a president, especially this president, taking up this issue where he's talking about pardoning people, talking about commuting sentences. So, um, uh, and I'm actually surprised by. It. I never expected this from Trump, uh, based on what he said on the campaign trail. Right. So, uh, so I'm really hoping that you know he stay he sticks to his words and opens up this and. Because I believe President Obama could have done a lot more um, than he did. And I think um, yeah. part of the problem with this is the Department of Justice. And President Trump has shown that he'll stand up to the DOJ. So I'm just hoping that he stands up to him on this issue. Um, and by one, removing the pardon attorney's office out of the Department of Justice because of that inherent conflict of interest. Um, and if he does that, you know, I'm hopeful that people like um, Matthew Charles will have their sentence commuted. Um, but even though this ain't, this ain't the proper fix, I think Congress needs to do something um, because this can only affect a few individuals. You know, you can't commute everyone's sentence who's in there too long. I think um, Congress needs to do something. And some of the, uh, the, the reforms I think that are needed and I'm hopeful will happen, you know, within the next four years are the decriminalization of marijuana, which I think is a first step in winding down the war on drugs. Because, um, you know, marijuana is used as a justification to trample over our Fourth Amendment rights. I don't know if, how much you pay attention to this issue, but you always see police officers pulling people over and saying they smell marijuana as, a, right. as, a, as an excuse to search their car looking for something else. And most time they don't find any marijuana. And that's even happened to me as a youngster. I've gotten pulled over and a cop says, I smell marijuana. There's no marijuana in the car, but they use that so they can now search your car. And then they can find something else, you know, that, that they shouldn't have found in violation of your Fourth Amendment. So, and they get away with this all the time. So I just think, that, and that's not the only reason why we should um, end prohibition, but that's one of the reasons. So I think that's uh, one of the policies I'd like to see um, changed for sure. Um, and I would also like to eliminate or substantially reduce mandatory minimums, and then eventually uh, shrinking the federal criminal code. Uh, and I, I completely agree with that, too. And to your point, I, I think it tramples, you know, a lot more than just the, the Fourth Amendment. There's legitimate Second Amendment issues that are that are violated all the time just for saying, like, you know, you, you have some marijuana on you. So somehow that means you're not safe enough to own a gun. Um, yeah, that and, actually happened to me. I, I truly believe my Second Amendment rights were violated because... I owned guns in my home and they were locked in gun safes, but when I was arrested, there was marijuana in my house in a totally different room and I got charged with that and now my Second Amendment rights are gone forever. Right. And I just think that's, I not only think that was a violation of my Second Amendment rights, but I think taking my Second Amendment rights for permanently is, is, is not uh, allowed under the Constitution. Right. Um, 
So there are, there are a number of reasons uh, why we need to reform the system, and um, that's one of them. Is, is that so something I'm, I'm, that you see is, is possible to, to get through in, in sort of a, a sweeping criminal justice package through Congress is, the, is restoration of Second Amendment rights that uh, for people who were charged under um, uh, with, with, with marijuana-related felonies? I think if we get there and, and, and to, to, to legalization, I think that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they should have something. I know uh, a few years back, Senator Booker and I think Rand Paul introduced something called the Redeem Act. I don't, I can't recall if it applied to everyone or just juveniles, but something needs to. We should have to rely on pardons because pardons are so rare. Right, um, right. We should have some way where people can have their rights restored, even if they go through a process. You know where they have to conduct themselves without getting any trouble for so many years. Just something. I think it's unconstitutional. I don't even think it's supported under the Second Amendment, where you can just strip someone of their rights forever. I just right. don't think that's constitutional. I think Scalia messed up on that in his opinion in the Heller case, and I think that there's nothing in the Constitution that, that, that supports that proposition that you can just strip someone's rights away permanently, especially over something that's nonviolent. No one was hurt. Um, so I'm definitely hoping, and I will fight for for that i mean i'm going to fight for a part i'm going to push for a pardon for myself as well but i think there needs to be a reform where everyone can eventually get their rights back right and even further even further than that there's you know legitimate just common sense issues with that where if if you're saying that you want these people to go back out and be productive members of society and get their life back together while simultaneously stripping all of their rights that any free person should have then it's only inevitable that a majority of those individuals are going to go back to the life that they already know and that got them in trouble in the first place. Exactly. I mean, it, it, we, we certainly feel like second-class citizens, especially you have to check that, that box on job applications. And yeah. just like you, if your friends say, hey, we're all going to go hunting, you're like, I can't even be around you guys, so right. have fun. You know, your kid wants to go do anything you like cautious like you don't even know if you can take i don't even know if i take my son or my stepson to go shoot a bb gun like i just don't know like it's just i don't i don't like living like that like I've, i did my time you know I'm, I'm i'm paying taxes now i have a good job you know i'm doing everything right and i just don't like you know living like that in some places some places you can't even vote luckily utah allows me to vote so i can't at least good. do that that's good um but yeah i think there's got to be some way after someone served their time and assuming their crime wasn't, uh, you know, violent, where there, where there was a victim, of course. I think at the very least, those people should have their rights restored, um, or at least have a way to, 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 to get their rights back. I think there has to be some some mechanism in place where someone can either petition the court or some way to get their rights restored. Um, so as as we start to close down here, um, I, I I want to know. Uh, what is next for you? What you know, you're you're working a lot on criminal justice. Is is maybe you know dipping back into music something that interests you, or is this your passion now? What what's sort of the next steps for you? Well, I hope there's a shelf life on this. <laughs> I, hope, uh, I, I hope I don't need to be an advocate for too long. So, right. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely considering um, getting back in music, and actually have a few opportunities right now. Um, so, uh, in addition to the film, I'm working on. I'm going to be doing a series as well, um, and I'm writing a book. It's almost done, and I hope that you know this book will shed a lot of light on the system. It's also entertaining, and I have a few um, things that I'm going to disclose for the very first time publicly about my case. Mm-hmm. It's going to shock a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I would like to. I have a lot of unreleased music 
that I've, I never got a chance to release. Um, before I went to jail, a lot of songs, you know, some feature Snoop Dogg and some, even the song features the, the late Tupac before he passed. So hopefully I'll get a chance to get in some time to get back in and, and at least finish some of those projects that I never got to complete. And then there are some opportunities, you know, to work with some other artists um, that are out now. So yeah, I would like to get back and I would like to get my life back. You know, I sort of, sort of lost my career. I had an opportunity, you know, that a lot of people don't ever get, get and you know, it was taken from me for something that I feel was was minor. Um, Weldon, I I think your story has is is really an inspiration to a lot of people, and it's it's really fascinating what you're doing now to work on um, work on criminal justice reform. This is is really the liberty issue I think um, of our day, the the sort of civil rights issue of our day. Um, and it's something that has to happen. It's long overdue, and I am thrilled to to hear that yourself and, and people like you are are stepping up and uh, really leading the charge to make this happen. Yeah, thanks, man, and thanks for having me on. Hopefully, we get something done this year. I'm I'm, I'm hopeful. I I am too. I'm I'm really optimistic. I think this is something that's uh, long overdue and has a tremendous amount of support. So thank you uh, again for coming on. Um, I think this has been a really fascinating, really really good interview. Um, and hopefully, if if we you know if something happens, then we can have you on again and we can you know have you talk about it again. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. And for everyone listening, you can follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter. Follow the show at Mill Liberty on Twitter and subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode or an update. And until next week, we'll see you.